Chapter 5 of Cripps the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5 A Ride Through the Snow. Meanwhile, the old squire, with a troubled mind, kept talking and walking about and listening for the rumble of his sister's carriage, the clank of horses' hooves, and the ring of wheels upon the frozen road. He could not believe that any one in the world would hurt his darling Gracie. Everybody loved her so, and the whole parish was so fond of her, and she had such a way of easing every one's perplexities, that if any villain durst even think of touching a hair of her blessed head, yet whose hair was it? Whose hair was it? And such a quantity as never could have been cut with her consent. This is too much. I cannot bear it, he said to himself, after many a turn and anxious search of the distance. "'Joan's carriage should have been here long ago. "'My darling would have made them keep their time. "'I cannot stop here. "'I must go meet them. "'But I need not startle anyone.' "'To provide for this, he just looked in at the kitchen door "'and told the old cook to keep dinner back a while, "'for the roads were so bad "'that the ladies were almost sure to be behind their time. "'And then he went quietly to the stable "'where the horses were bedded down, "'and by the light of an old horn lantern, "'settled and bridled his favorite hack. "'Heavy snow-clouds had been gathering all the afternoon, "'and now as he passed through a side-gate into the lane "'and turned his mare's head eastward, "'the forward flakes were borne by the sharp wind into his white whiskers. "'We shall have a coarse night of it, I doubt,' "'he said to himself as he buttoned his coat. "'At every turn of the lane he hoped to meet his sister's chariot "'laboring up the slippery track with the coal-black horses gray with snow.' and somebody well wrapped up inside to make him laugh at his childish fears. But corner after corner he turned, and met no carriage, no cart, no horse, nor even so much as a man afoot, only the snow getting thicker and sharper and the wind beginning to wail to it. The ruts of the lane grew more distinct, and their combs of frozen mud attracted and held the driving whiteness, and the frogs of heavy cart-horses might be traced by the hoary increment, then in three or four minutes a silvery grayness cast by the brown face of the roadway underlying the skin of snow glistened between steep hedgerows wherein the depth of darkness rested soon even these showed traitor members and began to hang the white feather forth where drooping spray or jutting thickets stopped the course of the laden air every hoof of the horse fell softer than it had fallen the step before and the old man stooped to heed his reins, and his hoary eyebrows crusted. Fear struck colder to his heart than frost, as he turned the last corner of his way, without meeting presence or token of his sister or darling daughter. In the deepening snow he drew his horse up under the two great yew-trees that overhung his sister's gate, and fumbled in the dark for the handle. The close heavy gates were locked and barred, and nothing had lately passed through them, then he hoped that the weather might have stopped the carriage, and he tugged out the heavy bronze lion's head in the pillar, which was the bell-pull. The bell in the porch of the house clanged deeply, and the mastiff heavily bayed at him, but he had to make the bell clang thrice before any servant answered it. "'Who be you there?' at last a gruff voice asked without stretch of courtesy. "'This sort of weather coming ringing like that. If ye say much more, I'll let the big dog loose.' "'Open the gate, you young oaf!' cried the squire. 
I suppose you are one of the new lot, eh? Not to know me worth Oglander? Why couldn't you said so, then? The surly fellow answered as he slowly opened one leaf of the gate, swinging the fringe of snow back. Such a fellow wouldn't be with me half a day. Are you too big for your work, sir? Run on before me, you pie-crusted pumps, or you shall taste my whip, sir. The footman, for once in his life, took his feet up and ran in a bluster of rage and terror to the front door, which he had left wide open to secure a retreat from violence. Mr. Oglander struck his mare, and she started so that he scarcely pulled her head up under the coin of his sister's porch. "'What is all this, I beg to know? If you think to frighten me, you are mistaken. Oh, worth is it? Worth whatever do you mean by making such a commotion?' Three or four frightened maids were peeping safe in the gloom of the entrance hall, while the lady of the house came forward bravely in the lamplight. "'I will speak to you presently, Joan,' said the squire as he vainly searched with a falling heart for some dear face behind her. "'Here, Bob, I know you at any rate. Take the old mare to the stable.' Then, with a sign to his sister, he followed her softly into the dining-room. At a glance he saw that she had dined alone and he fell into a chair and could not speak. "'Have you brought back the stockings? Why, how ill you look! The cold has been too much for you, brother. You should not have come out. What was Grace doing to let—' "'Where is my daughter, Grace?' Y "'Your daughter, Grace? My niece, Grace? Why, at the home of her father's house, to be sure. Worth, are your wits wandering?' "'When did Grace leave you?' At three o'clock, yesterday. How can you ask when you sent in such hot haste for her? You might be quite sure that she would not linger. I thought it rather... Let me tell you, I never sent for Grace. I have not seen her. Mrs. Fermitage looked at her brother steadily, with one hand fencing her forehead. She knew that he was of no drunken kind, yet once in a way a man might take too much especially in such weather. But he answered her gaze with such eyes that she came up to him and began to tremble. I tell you, Joan, I never sent for Grace. If you don't know where she is, none but God knows. I have told you all, his sister answered, catching her breath at every word almost. A letter came from you, overruling the whole of our arrangement. You were not ill, but you wanted her for some particular purpose. She was to walk, and you wouldn't meet her. And walk she did, poor darling. And I was so hurt that I would not send— You let her go, Joan. You let her go. It was a piece of your proud temper. Her death lies at your door, and so will mine. Mr. Oglander was very sorry as soon as he had spoken thus unjustly, but the deep pang of the heart devoured any qualms of conscience. "'Are you sure that you let her go? Are you sure that she's not in this house now?' he cried, coming up to his sister and taking both hands to be sure of her. "'She must be here, and you are joking with me. Worth?' She left this house at two o'clock by the timepiece yesterday, instead of today, as we meant to do. She would not let anyone go with her, because you were coming down the hill to meet her. 
Not expecting to go home that day, she had a pair of my silk stockings on, because, well, I need not go into that, and knowing what a darling little fidget she is, I thought she had sent you back with them, and to make your peace for so flurrying me. Have you nothing more to tell me, Joan? I shall go mad while you dwell on your stockings. Who brought that letter? What has become of it? Did you see it? Can you think of anything? Joan, you women are so quick-witted. Surely you can think of something. Mrs. Fermitage knew what her brother meant, but no sign would she show of it. The squire was thinking of a little touch of something that might have grown up into love if Grace had not been so shy about it, and so full of doubts as to what she ought to do. Her aunt had been anxious to help this forward, but not for the world to speak of it. Concerning the letter, I only just saw it. I was up, well, well, I mean, I I happened to have something to do in my own room then. The dear creature knocked at my door, and I, I could not let her in at the moment. You are doing your wig. Well, well, go on. I was doing nothing of the kind. Your anxiety need not make you rude, Worth. However, she put the letter under the door, and I saw that it was your handwriting, and so urgent that I was quite flurried, and she was off in two minutes without my even kissing her. Oh, poor dear, my little dear! She said good-bye through the keyhole, and could not wait for me even to kiss her. At this thought the elderly lady broke down, and could for the moment do nothing but sob. Dear heart, dear heart, cried the squire, who was deeply attached to his sister. Don't take on so, my dear good Joan. We know of no harm as yet. That is, for he thought of the coil of hair, but with strong effort forbore to speak of it. Nothing, I mean, in any way positive or disastrous. She may have, you know, she may have taken it into her head to to leave us for a while, Joan. To run away? To elope? Not she. She is the last girl in the world to do it. Whatever may have happened, she has not done that. You ought to know better than that, Worth. Mm, Perhaps I do. I have no more time to talk of that or any other thing. I shall hurry into Oxford and see John Smith, and let everybody know of it. What do I care what people think? Send a man on horseback to Beckley at once. Have you any man worth a pinch of salt? You are always changing so. I cannot keep cripples or sots, dear brother. Take any one you please of them. Any one who'll deign to come, you should say. Deep snow tries the mettle of newcomers. End of chapter 5